0: Listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley AG. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. Welcome
1: to the, this episode of Soil Talk. My name is Aaron Sindlar. I am the sustainability lead for Central Valley Ag, filling in for Tim Mundorf today. And today I have James and James is the field sales Agronomist for Central Valley AG out of the Norway Kansas. City. And today, James and I are going to talk about just general conservation practices. We're starting to see more growers kind of shift this side where you know they're interested in becoming either more sustainable or looking for more innovative ways to maybe help increase their profitability. And, and the conservation route is one way that they're looking at, not only for the sustainability as well as the profitability, but also just the overall environmental stewardship. And today, we're really going to focus on talking about the big, the big two, which is going to be your conservation tillage really talking about the retail side of that as well as cover compensation and, and James you've been a field sales agronomist for Central Valley Ag for several years and with, you, with yourself being in that north central Kansas area what are you seeing there are you seeing kind of a, a, a greater shift towards conservation practice adoption as what well was what are kind of some of the best management practices what are guys doing well that's really kind of helping their their uh, situation kind of home and, and really implementing these practices
0: what we've been seeing the last couple of years, Aaron, it's been uh, a lot of shift back to to true no-till. Um, we've the guys have done a better job of, of residue management, whether that's with um, the, uh, different heads. You know, it, it's been such a difficult thing to get a lot of this stover to break down. We haven't seen guys go away from baling the stover and taking all that. Um, cover off the ground and leaving more of it out there and available <clears throat> for the next year and and um, has really helped increase our organic matter rates. Um, and we've seen better yields actually because of that. I mean, we're not breaking down all that organic matter. We're not burning off all the carbon that we, we have been naturally sequestering in the soil from those. And and seen better yields and and better soil health in a lot of the fields.
1: So when you sit down with a grower in the fall or in the winter and you're kind of working with him or her on kind of that planning for the next growing season, and maybe they kind of talk to you about, hey, I'm look, I'm looking at maybe making a making a switch to no-till. What are kind of those top two, maybe three reasons as to why they're kind of entertaining that idea? You know, our
0: our climate here historically it's been so so dry that uh, a lot of people are looking at it more for for just a moisture retention um, more so than anything and then with the way that these varieties and hybrids have have really come about in the last 10 years with the the drought guard traits and and all the different traits that we don't have to go out and, and have that that garden seedbed. Um, the we have a lot lot better vigor, early season vigor coming out of the plants, uh, just out of emergence. And we've we've seen that you know even with guys using more starter fertilizers than we have in the past, and and really doing doing a lot better job of of managing our phosphorus requirements throughout the season, rather than putting out a blanket rate and then. Incorporating
1: it. So let's flip it on the other side. So we talked about why some of these growers are looking at at doing it. Why? What, what's when they're looking at making that change? What are their main concerns? You know, is, is there that one or two thing that that they already identify from the get go and say, "Hey, James, this is something we got to figure out how to work around." Is there is there kind of a common theme of what they're kind of concerned about?
0: Yeah, a lot of people are are concerned. You know, just about the runoff that's coming out of the fields and and here locally um we see a lot of times we get to this time of the year especially in in late july where the the lakes get the algae blooms and and shutting those down and then um how that affects them and affects some of the the local recreation if, if the producers are in that area with having, you know, tourism dollars and specifically down around Milford Lake, um, you know, there's a, there's a fair amount of, of hotel rooms and, and food and, and things that, that we don't necessarily always think about in, in agriculture that those dollars do flow back into our, our local communities.
1: So let's play the what if scenario. Let's, let's say, you know, again, we have that grower, they're looking to make the change. What what's kind of the the initial roadmap that you would recommend them when when making the change? Not only on the equipment side, but just maybe kind of some of those. You know, one big thing I kind of see is that when typically these conservation practices, when when, a, when maybe they don't get off the right foot from what a grower may expect. It's typically, we haven't made the proper agronomic changes or adjustments. So, what are kind of some of those things where again that that growers looking at at making that change? They want to give it a try. They want to try some of um, what are what are the specific kind of areas or topics that you focus on that you need to make the adjustments on?
0: I guess the biggest one that I like to start with is is their soil sampling programs. I mean, if we're doing a good uh, grid or zone sample program and and not just putting out blanket rates, really putting the the phosphorus and and all the nutrients right where they they need to be, rather than than taking it and um, you know, if, if a guy's already doing one of those types of programs and doing a good job of, of management on his, on his nutrients, you know, then looking at some of the, I like to call them enhancer enhancers, you know, for a phosphate enhancer or a, a nitrogen inhibitor, or nitrate inhibitor, um, and, and starting to take a look at that and, and look how we can really efficiently use the nutrients that we are putting out there, even if they are in the right, right areas.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point you bring up is that really understanding, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a no-till situation, but a no-till situation is even more critical uh from my point of view when it comes to soil sampling. And but just knowing kind of what your nutrient status is um first and foremost and and that's the thing here is that with Central Valley Ag we've got kind of a wide range of options that we can do to do a soil sampling and we have the the top end where we can go in and do some very intensive grid sampling and get a really good spatial idea of what what your field looks like but also maybe you're new into getting into soil sampling you want to kind of take that first step before you jump all the way to the other end that's where something like the advanced composites that we offer where that's a little bit more of a hybrid approach um, not quite as costly as that um, full grid sampling package but again still provides us with that starting point of information where we can really identify uh, you know where you are for nutrient-wide because again when we talk about a no-till situation um, you know two two key nutrients to really think about even one especially when we talk about phosphorus so phosphorus is highly immobile in the soil um, it just well, when you apply phosphorus, it's just not going to move very much. I mean, over the lifetime of phosphorus, it, we're only talking, you know, a, a mere few inches of, of absolute maximum movement that we've had in soil. And when we've got a situation where maybe historically you've been a, a broadcaster of your phosphorus, uh, in a no-till situation, what, what we can get is a stratification on that top layer where, you know, we have, we've got a very dense, nutrient-rich top maybe inch or two with phosphorus and then we see the depletion underneath because obviously as those plants grow bigger we have that root expansion going down they're accessing and and actually mining phosphorus at lower depths so that's something again where um, obviously our our grid sampling can help us identify kind of where the or or just soil sampling in general helps us identify kind of where the good or the deficient areas are as well as you know looking at no-till that's something to be considering is that um you're your fertilizer, your nutrient placement, you know, again, your phosphorus, especially because of how lack it moves, but also your nitrogen. So when you think about nitrogen, uh, it, you know, again, maybe you're a historical, a broadcaster when it came to your nitrogen. Um, you know, when we go into a no-till situation, especially, you know, a, a high C to N ratio crop, maybe like corn or grain sorghum residue, when when we surface apply that nitrogen, we're going to see, a, you know, a pretty significant portion of that get immobilized or tied up by that by basically the soil microbes that break down that residue immediately. So again just kind of thinking through not only uh, your fertilizer but also the placement and things like that is also is pretty critical when it comes to um, kind of a no-till situation. So we've talked about the fertilizer side what about the seed side you know the planting things like that what do you recommend to really help get that crop off to the right start and not kind of be facing an uphill battle? Kind of dealing with that heavy residue no-till situation.
0: The a big, the biggest thing is, I mean, you know, where we're not mechanically um, taking out the weeds and things has been a, a good program for pre-emergent, and and that has really, I think, show shown probably as much uh, importance in the last couple of years as as anything. Um, you know, this year we were, we were cool and, and then we turned off dry and, and every year is vastly different. I have a couple guys that tell me, you know, I've been farming for 30 years. That doesn't mean I have, just means I have 31 year experiences and, and they, uh, no year is ever the, ever the same, but the one thing that has been pretty consistent has been putting a good, a good pre-emergent out there. And really, if holding the weeds and everything back um, before they ever get a chance to start and and not having to to roll through there with a tillage equipment or a tillage pass to take out the those weeds um, something that we've done more and more of here every year has been a fall applied program where we we kind of shift some dollars around that that we after harvest is over or whatever, uh, we can go out there, spray the the winter annuals and pick out a lot of those weeds that compete for moisture. And, and really it's no different than a, than a early spring or fall tillage pass. And it's probably actually cheaper to run it that way than it would be to pull a disc out through the fields or, or to take care of the hen bit and the mare's tail that, that we've been fighting. Um, guys that have done that I most years can we can get into the spring season with those fields pretty clean um green up the fields are are a little cooler but it's I, I'd rather have a plant into a cooler temperature than than have to fight a, a weedy mess there's no doubt yeah
1: I, I agree with you I think uh, you know I've really become a big fan of, of doing that fall burn down in um, just And again, it does not have to be a super extravagant um, herbicide mix. You know, just so, some of our simpler older chemistries that we've been using have been really effective. So yeah, I, I agree. I think, especially in a no-till situation, we take care of those winter annuals. We get them early. We don't let them, you know, we don't let them get out of that rosette stage, I think has been a definitely a kind of a, a big win for growers that have been doing that program. Uh, so you hit on the herbicide, kind of the weed management side of the no-till. You know. Big thing is let's talk about planting. You know, I, When it comes to a no-till situation, getting your planting right and getting that seed off to the right start in that no-till field is really probably one of the most critical things that you can do in my office. Um, and there's a lot of things that we can talk about there. You know, we can talk about seed, we can talk about starter. Before we even get into that, let's talk about equipment. Um, you know, I know some people think that, okay, well, I'm gonna go, I'm switching to no-till. If, if I'm gonna make that change, that means I've got to do a wholesale equipment you know, either modification or trade in new. And sure, maybe in that, you're talking that super high yield corn on corn, just this maximum amount of residue produced. That may be the case. But, you know, when we look across our sales territory, um, you know, CBA's footprint, and we've got such a predominant corn-soy rotation here, um, you know, that's something I don't necessarily buy into, especially when, uh, you know, you can kind of make the make some smart modifications on the on your planter the biggest thing when it comes to that no-till is clearing out that furrow, because one of the one of the uh main issues with no-till is it's great in the you know when we talk summer when we talk about moisture conservation we want that soil to be a little bit cooler because that helps reduce our evaporation but obviously when we're planting in April early May time frame you know we're, maybe we've got a cool spring that's where, you know, we really can kind of fight that, that no-till field, especially if it's maybe a heavier clay, maybe a brick bottom type of a field. So really furrow management, clearing out, kicking out as much of that residue out of the furrow so we can get some rapid soil warming is really what we're going to target there. Um, you know, I go into, I'm a huge believer in, you know, especially in no-till situations, I'm a huge believer in starter fertilizer. If uh, you know, anything where we can get some You'll get that initial shot of, of, of nitrogen and especially phosphorus to that to that seedling early on. The reason for that is because, you know, again, it, it ties to that soil moisture. The kind of the uh, soil processes are very heavily driven by soil temperature, and any time when we can especially bring them that that fertilizer form of phosphorus that is a highly available form we can you know, overcome some of that deficiency we might see early on. Especially growers, you get that cold spring, you'll see that purpling of the of a early plant or a seedling. And that's typically because of that lack of phosphorus availability. Um, last thing that I really wanna focus on is, especially again, we get into those high residue like four on corn situations. I'm a big believer where I really like looking hard into going at that higher level of the seed tree. And the, and again, when we talk about cooler soils, that's where some of our plant diseases, you know, our, our pythiums example is a great one. They like it cooler. They like it cool, they like it wet. So especially maybe if you've got a little bit slower germination and emergence because of that no-till field, that's where that higher rate seed treatment can really come into play. It provides you with that little bit better protection, just helps that plant get established and then you know, get its legs under it, so to speak, and then it can kind of fight off some of those diseases a little bit better. So um, any, those are kind of my big three. I don't know if you've got anything else when it comes to that planting time and no-till that you really want growers to, to consider.
0: No, I think you hit on it real well, it, kind of like you referenced earlier, you know, the residue management is is going to be the big key in a lot of those, and, and definitely starting with a, a good furrow where we're not hairpinning any any residue in there or or anything like that is really going to give us our best chance in a no-till situation. Um you know, limiting, yeah, I know here locally and, and probably even as, as a company, we we see a lot of cattle pasture down on some of those fields and and just really making sure that we don't we're not compacting the soil and and staying kind of out of some of those zones or, you know, trying to at least make them move around for water and not back in, in the edges as much as possible um, has been something that's been a struggle more than anything. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, you're, you're exactly exactly right on.
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's a great point on the compaction side. so again, you're used to, you know when a grower is making that switch from conventional to that no-till situation, they're used to soil conditions being a certain way you get into that no-till situation and it seems kind of like your water stratification is a little bit different. You know, you, you might have a little bit drier of a topsoil that's not, top, you know, maybe three, four inches, but then okay. you, you're going to have a little bit more subsoil underneath, you know, especially getting that maybe eight to 10 range. And yeah, it's typically, if you're not kind of aware of that and it's maybe a rush spring, you can sometimes create some subsurface compaction. So that's definitely a, a great point to, to bring up too. So let's switch gears a little bit. So we've been talking about, obviously, no-till. You know, we've, we've got guys that have been doing no-till for 30 plus years in some pockets of, of our territory. Um, let's talk about the other side, You know, kind of the new emergent thing with cover crops. How much interest are you starting to get from your growers um, about cover crops? And again, why are they looking at them? What kind of questions do they have about them? Yeah,
0: we're starting to see a more interest in cover crop every year. Um, whether that's from you know a weed control standpoint by planting a heavy amount of rye um, and how they they work, you know, if and and cover crop was always kind of a a funny thing. I Means so many different things to different people. I you know a cover crop to a to a I always joke we have we have farmers and we farmers with cow cattle and we have cattlemen with farms and. And how they balance that is is really how a lot of they look at cover crop. You know the cattle guys that that have a farm is, is we're gonna have a bunch of rye or or something for forage, and we're gonna use it as a as a winter pasture and all the benefits that come come with that are create a different set of of expectations that that a maybe a farmer that happens to have cows. I don't you know the, the those guys are looking more at a soil infiltration and and structure and and weed control than how many pounds can can we gain off of this this farm and and how how they quantify or or um value that what that brings back is is something that we're all trying to figure out and manage on a daily basis them that uh, producers and agronomists in the industry.
1: So that that's great right there. You know, kind of understanding why guys are looking at it. Why, what's their concerns about maybe doing a cover crop? You know, kind of what's, what's holding them back from either trying it or maybe trying it on, or maybe they're doing it on one or two fields. What's keeping them from doing it on their entire operation?
0: I think a lot of it's timing um, and how things come off. You know, the, the corn crop, usually comes off october november here if if we're trying to drill wheat it's really not a difference than putting the wheat crop back in our double crop wheat after soybeans uh, corn is a little later it always seems like and so we stand establishment are they going to see that return you know on a on a the farm um has been a big part of it you know, the the costing and things i think the guys can it's just we've got to figure out how to make it justifiable to them and and then what they're trying to accomplish if it's if it's a a highly erodible soil that and we have a, a wet spring and you know we have all our our uh erosion even on these terrace fields can can roll in between them and and things it's it's just trying to figure out what they're trying to accomplish and what their main concerns are it has been a lot of that we guys always have interest in it but it's they're they're trying to balance their checkbook out with it as well
1: so you you've hit on the two things that i hear about as well obviously the logistics and kind of the working around harvest is a big one as well as kind of the cost side And, and that's something at cva that we're working on on kind of helping with you know obviously looking at some different ways of how we can help growers get that cover crop in, in a timely manner, especially if they're trying to follow it with, you know, after the former sleeping crop, as well as just the cost about and, it. And you brought it up too, you know, kind of led into it a little bit is, well, if, if you're somebody that you've got a, you know, cow cap herd or, or maybe dairy or something like that, and, and if you can, bring, you know, capture that grazing value with that cover crop, I think there's tremendous opportunity to offset some of that cost. You know, kind of some of the research that I look at or information I look at from you know, kind of some of the university extensions within our area. they're estimating anywhere from that low end of maybe $20 an acre, maybe even to as much as that $50 per acre value of that forage. Uh, especially when we look at maybe like a cereal rye dominant mix or even and throw a legume in, you know that's, especially with the legume thrown in, that's a pretty, pretty high quality material where you've got a high protein content. Um, you know, as long as it's not getting into that jointing or head stage of the rye is, you've got a, a pretty a pretty good digestibility on that. So it's a pretty good, it's not just a pretty good, it's a really good forage option um, for, again, if you've got a beef or a dairy operation. Uh, you know, another thing we're, we've been working on and something that kind of falls within my jurisdiction is helping growers find those opportunities where how can we lessen the cost of this? You know, are there... Are there conservation organizations that have funding opportunities that we can help link the grower to, you know, provide them not only maybe with, here are the options, but help them start that path that they want to kind of attain that funding as well. So that's something that, again, we can provide to the grower, kind of help them find where where those opportunities are, and that's as simple simply as just starting that conversation with your field sales agronomist and kind of starting down that path, and then we can kind of see where it goes. Um, So again, kind of let's role play a little bit like we did with no-till. Let's say you have that grower that wants to adopt cover crops. Maybe he wants to try it on a field or two. What does that conversa- initial conversation look like? Again, what are, what are the things that grower needs to be thinking about? Um, you know, what are, what are the things should he or she be considering about why the specific mix they're gonna be choosing? What are maybe some of those agronomic things we gotta be thinking about as well to make sure that we get this cover crop not only successful, but also that we're not costing ourselves yield on our corn, soy, wheat, sorghum, whatever it is, um, you know, it, to, just to make sure we get a cover crop that works.
0: Right. So, you know, something that I like to usually start is what's the end goal? You know, what what are managing expectations becomes becomes huge because, is you know, is that we're gonna pasture 100 head of yearlings on this for <laughs> for the winter, and and I want this many pounds, and and then, or is it a guy that is concerned because he's transitioning from um, conventional till or reduced till to no till, and we need more turnips and radishes and and things um, that'll help break up a hard pan, or you know, did we make some agronomic uh, I don't want to call them mistakes, but Make some agronomic um, questionable questionable decisions, I guess. Whether we planted a little wet and we we packed some soil, or or it's, you know stuff that's coming out, and we need to to break some more things on, um, break up the the hard pain. uh So I guess where I like to start is 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 what what's our end? You know what where do we end, and what does success look like? every individual grower, and then kind of work backwards from there. Um, whether it's, you know, we're, we're just going to put out a bunch of rye because we just want to feed these calves, and, and, or do we want actual soil health? Do we want to build our organic matter? Um, you know, a tenth of a percent, because a percent would be great, but I don't think any of us have that kind of time to, to maybe grow them another, another percent. So maybe tenths, we talk talking tenths um and just go from there and, and you know agronomically you know if we're putting that much rye out i think been to some field days for university of nebraska and you know the weed control and and if if guys are are going to put that out and then we're you know what what kind of weed control we would expect or, or, or are we shifting to a different type of weed that at some point um and and really when we decide to terminate that that crop becomes a big a big issue um you know we want it to be be there long enough to give us catch all the snow and and give us all the benefits but not so long that like you referenced that it it kind of goes to head and and starts to adversely affect our soil moisture and and how that how that then affects and then what are we going are we going to let The neighbor bale that stover off and and balance the checkbook on that way um you know here locally and and recently we just went through wheat harvest and i had a producer actually in my office who had a neighbor who wanted to come in and, and bale his wheat wheat straw after he had everything off and you start running the numbers on on the nutrients that we take off of the field when we do something a practice like that and that becomes some of the highest priced wheat straw in the in the country because of all the phosphorus and and things that uh phosphorus and other nutrients that we're we're pulling off at where the prices indicate with with the corn or the commodity prices and things we uh we really almost it's it's tough to balance that that out on, on the nutrient side.
1: Yeah. I, I, you bring up a great point where really determining what you want to do, you know, are you looking at building organic matter? Are you looking at breaking up compaction, improving your nutrient cycling? That's where kind of knowing what you want to achieve. And then again, working with your field sales agronis can help you build that program to, you know, and, and make sure you're selecting the proper cover crop and mix and things like that. Last thing I want to kind of just kind of leave it on once we talk about cover crops is really building that expectation. You know, we know that changing full processes, especially organic matter, is a very slow process. This is something where, you know, if you're going to make this investment, let's just use, again, organic matter as that. You want to improve your organic matter as an example. That's something that's going to take several years. It's going to take a while until you can kind of see those changes. So, you know, that year or two you may not see that organic matter improvement, you may not see that yield change that you expect, but it's just that understanding that it's going to take a little bit of time to build towards that. Um, Fortunately, we do have a tool at Central Valley AG called (coughs) True Tech Insights Engine where we can kind of do some on the fly simulations within a field for a given year and kind of show you what type of improvements are happening in that field, even if you can't see them actually happening before your eyes so again kind of kind of allows you that opportunity to see what's going on before we see that final end product you know a few years down the road so with that james you have you know, as we kind of talk about no-till talk about cover crops you know there's just this overall conservation theme do you have any parting thoughts that you want to kind of leave with with the listeners about what they should be maybe thinking about or doing or, or just kind of overall in general about conservation
0: yeah you know i think it's it's not a secret that that conservation um, nationally is becoming a bigger, bigger and bigger thing as we hear about more about regenerative ag and 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 all these kind of sustainability and and other buzzwords that we hear and and you know I just I guess uh, if there's one thing I'd like guys to remember it's 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 probably better to help drive the train than it is to stand on the tracks and and wait for for something to come and and so. If there's anything that that I guess I would like guys to remember is that you know we can we can be part of it or we can <laughs> we can either help decide how things are going to look or we can get dictated to how things are going to be, and I think we'd all all rather have a have a say before we get forced to do something. Yeah,
1: I think that's a great point, and I just want to reiterate that you know, at Central Valley Ag, we're committed to helping our growers, you yeah. know, explore and reach their conservation or sustainability goals. Um, you know, we've kind of got the infrastructure in place. We've got the the ability to, um, again, kind of track and monitor these changes as they go. And and really, if, if this is something that is of interest to you, again, it starts simply with that initial conversation with your field sales agronomist, and then we kind of branch out from there. You know, we, we build that plan of how we can make conservation and or sustainability work for you but and, and all the while it being living harmoniously with your you know maximizing profit in your current operation uh, so it's it's a it's an ever evolving area right now there's a lot of interest a lot of eyes on how we could make agriculture more sustainable um, but it's it's a, a great opportunity again to you know improve your environmental stewardship but also still hopefully raise the bar on your profitability of your operation And with that, that wraps up today's podcast for Soil Talk about conservation. With James Banahan, I'm Aaron Cimbalar, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Soil Talk with Tim Mundorf and Aaron Cimbalar. If you would like more information, you can visit cvacoop.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.